in your Bibles to Luke 24. We're down, coming down the home stretch. We're going to complete this gospel. <laughs> it's not about getting through the book. It's about the book getting through us, right? <laughs> and so just to kind of let you in, what I'm thinking is um, as much as I'd like to move on to a, another book because so the best book, my favorite book is the one I'm teaching, usually. <laughs> um, I'm going to, over the next uh, couple, three weeks, uh, finish this chapter, uh, and it's a very important chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in regards to the resurrection, and uh, it really speaks to the heart, and that's what God deals with. You know, man looks upon the outward. But God looks upon the heart, and that's really what matters. It really does. Um, we're going to look at the tomb here. There's these four major movements through this chapter, and they're uh, different geographical locations. One's at the tomb, one's on the road, one's in the village, and then one's in the upper room where they're gathered. And each one of those situations bring out an attitude or reveals the heart of the people and the characters that are involved in that particular setting. This morning we want to look at the tomb. It is a picture of the perplexed heart, a picture of a heart that has fear within, a heart that is forgetful. So those are our three points this morning. And so well, let's get started here as I read through the first 12 verses. If you'll stand with me as I read the Word of God. Now, on the first day of the week, or very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb, and then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. The word of the Lord. He may be seated. <clears throat> so what is your view of death as you stare at it? You know, you got to remember the disciples here, all of them are in a state of shock. Three days prior, the Savior was hanging on the cross. 
You know, that's, death is harsh. Something that each one of us are going to experience at some point in time. Um, we know that that's where this life ends. And we know that that's when we enter into another realm. But we don't know really what that's like. We can only go by what we have, see in the Bible as it talks about heaven and our arrival there. But as we consider death, it's harsh. It's cold. It's crushing. Job 18, 14. Job 24, 17. refers to death as the king of terrors. There's not much more to be afraid of or more afraid of than dying. Especially when someone knows that they're not right with God. They have not made their peace with God. But the death of Christ was like no other death. He was raised from the dead on the third day. And so these ladies coming to the tomb this early Sunday morning, not expecting what they found at all. They were, in other Gospels, were considering, well, I wonder how the rocks, the stone's going to be rolled away for us. Maybe we can talk the guards into rolling it back for us. They're trying to, they're, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do to do what they want to do and need to do to finish preparing the body of Jesus for his, his internment. And so we read there that in verse 4 that they were perplexed. Now, perplexed is a pretty heavy-duty word. It's used in Scripture a few different places. It means uh, it's deporio, and it, <clears throat> so you have a porio, a no, and porio way. So there's no way. Uh, it's to be entirely at a loss. Um, you don't know what to do. The situation they were in uh, didn't make any sense at all. Now, obviously, they had no previous life experience that they could fall back on and try to, to garner some kind of footing mentally, like, what is going on here? Completely dumbfounded by the situation. That describes that word and its meaning. Herod had this experience uh, with John the Baptist in, in that... Uh, all the things that um, had been done by him, he was, uh, and by Christ, uh, because he's hearing all these things, he's perplexed, it says in Luke 7. You know, who is this guy doing all these miracles? John's dead. Did he come back from the dead? Eli is it Elijah? I mean, all they're feeding him with all kinds of information. He cannot figure out, this can't be possible. You know, he's perplexed. And then also there's life situations that are coming, future events. Jesus used this word in Luke 21, verses 25 and 26. It has implications in our day, the end times, signs of the times. Jesus said in verse 25, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars and on earth, distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things that are coming upon the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. There'll be situations that, and we're probably nearing them right now. I'm going to take a little bit of a rabbit trail here in a little bit to, not to distress you, not to perplex you, as it were, but to understand that we are in those days now. 
We are in the last hour. We are in the last days. Great, the age of grace is nearing its end. And Jesus is coming soon. Probably sooner than we think. We can have this perplexing thing we know in our lives. Uh, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 8, Paul um, shared this with the Corinthian church. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. You might find yourself this morning in a perplexing situation. There's just no way out. There's just, it's impossible. Well, it may be perplexing to you, but it's not perplexing to God. God always has a way out. God is never backed into a corner, as it were. So, one of the things that's going to happen here in the near future is on April 8th is an eclipse. Now, some of you are probably well aware of this. Um, an eclipse probably happened at the time of Christ's uh, death from noon until 3 p.m. It was darkened over the face of the land and then we know at his death that the veil in the temple was torn. That was a perplexing moment for the establishment, let me tell you. But Jesus, in saying that, that will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and all, this is important for us to understand. God has used, it uses these kinds of things to speak to his people. They're signs. How do we know that? Well, Genesis 1.14, right out of the gate in creation, God established uh, the earth in itself as a time clock. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons, for days and for years. So signs is latat, which is a reference point. It's a witness. Uh, could be an omen, as people outside the faith would call it, maybe. Uh, seasons is moed, which is a, uh, means appointed times. It's the word that's used for the festivals and the feasts that were uh, put together by the Lord for the nation of Israel. And then there's a term that theologians use that refer, to as, refer to as cosmic theology. Now you know that the uh, wise men came from the east and they followed a star. This isn't astrology. This is astronomy. Astrology is warped by the devil. He's taken what God is, wants to use and has established and he's you know, manipulated it and used it for dark purposes. So it's, we're not talking about that. You need another good example. It would be Revelation 12. is a constellation that's being described there. You know, it's kind of interesting. They have with the new technology, and this is how they find out a lot about uh, previous things that have gone on in the earth, is, is uh, a little app called Stellarium. Maybe some of you who are stargazers and you like astronomy, which is pretty cool. I mean, I like going out looking at the stars. My problem is I don't understand how they get those figures out of all that. It's like they just look like a bunch of stars to me. <laughs> but this little app, you can, the fact is you can even lay in your bed and just open it up and look at it. And you can see the constellations and they kind of draw the lines for you so you're not so stupid. And you can, I, wow, that's Orion. Oh, that's where that is. Or you can go outside and look at the real thing and then hold that up and, oh, that's what that is. It's really fascinating. Okay, so I'm a stargazer, sorry. But I find it very interesting, uh, this, if nothing else, 
um, allow me to go down this little rabbit hole, I'll try not to go too far. Um, but we remember um, in 2017, August 21st, we had um, also had a pretty intense eclipse. Uh, that was six years, seven months, and 18 days uh, before this one that takes place on April 8th. It, in 2017, that eclipse traveled across the U.S. from Salem, Oregon, all the way across to Charleston, South Carolina. It went over seven cities named Salem. Salem, Oregon, Idaho, Wyoming, Nebraska, Missouri, Kentucky, and South Carolina. Now, the word Salem, most of you are aware of this, is part of Jerusalem. Salem means peace. Some want to make a deal that, you know, you will have peace. And so, uh, for the most part, we've had peace uh, these last seven years. Well, with maybe... You know, even though we've had a fake pandemic, we've got an unfaithful president administration, we're suffer, headed into hyperinflation. But other than that, we've had, for the most part, peace. <laughs> but this one that's coming on April 8th will cross, in the United States, seven Ninevehs. Uh, and then... Also, later on, the 8th, uh, Nineveh, Nova Scotia. You can, get, you can find this stuff on the Internet. It's, really, it's all over the place. Understanding the Times has a number of things there. But Nineveh is an interesting place. We know that that was the city that Nimrod built. And um, the Wikipedia, however much you can trust that, um, talks about the eclipse that crossed over there in the 15th century. And this would have been about the time of Jeroboam II, who would have been king of the uh, 10 northern tribes, which we're studying right now in the Minor Prophets. And uh, Jonah was a contemporary of that time, and he is the one that delivered the message uh, to Nineveh to repent. And there are those who believe, and they've gone, they've used programs like Stellarium and went back and, you know, tried to check this out. Uh, but this may have, there may have been an eclipse at that point, and that's really what led and sort of reinforced the message that he had as he walked three days to cover that city. Repent. In 40 days, the Lord will judge, you know. So it was quite a message and quite a revival. And so um, you can imagine that time and people that are outside faith and how they look at these things when the middle of the day turns dark. It gets your attention. So what I find interesting as we are just about to the bottom of the rabbit hole here <laughs> uh, is that these two eclipses, it's seven years apart, which we know the number is a special number, they, make, uh, they cross at a similar place and uh, at the bottom of Illinois, in, in Kentucky, in that area, at the New Madrid Seismic Earthquake Zone. This would be um, Salem, Kentucky. And 
For those of you who are history buffs and you uh, remember this from school, uh, we had uh, an earthquake in 1811-1812 in the Midwest. And in that zone, uh, there's written testimony. You can go to the USGS, the U.S. Geological Survey place. This is where I went. And you can get, there's written testimony from people who saw the disaster that uh, was left by the earthquake that went down, the, the ramifications of it affected uh, the, the uh, Mississippi River for a period of time. It went the wrong direction. Uh, boats were toppled, trees. It just it was very, very destructive. A 7.5, 7.7 type earthquake. But, you know, we, uh, when we think about earthquakes, what, what part of the country do we think about? California. And that's why some of you left there, besides the other reasons that we don't want to talk about. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, that's, there's more to it than that. There's a great, that Madrid uh, fault line could, you know, actually, uh, by some scientists, think it could split our country into two land masses. It's that uh, uh, pregnant, I guess, with, with faults and all. So... Um, you can do a little research on that. Now, could this eclipse that's going to happen be a sign? Is, that, is it something that God is trying to say to the nation? What if shortly thereafter this eclipse, there was a big earthquake? Say that that Madrid fault line split the nation geographically Say that millions of people died in an earthquake. You know, that, you know God's, God uses these things to, to warn people. Uh, you, you know, we've been sort of tainted because of how Satan has used astro- astrology, and we sort of poo-poo uh, signs and wonders. But, and I'm not trying to get off onto that, but I'm just saying we can't just downplay it either. You know, what's it going to take? What is it going to take? to wake up the American church, to bring revival. I'm not talking about sinners coming. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ waking up. Amen. There's a stupor. We are in the time of Laodicea. People, I don't know and I don't care. That's called apathy, right? We're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either hot or cold. The cold people don't want to be around the hot people because, well, you know, they're fanatical. Now is not the time to be messing around with your spiritual walk. Now is the time, if there ever was a time in your life, now is the time for you to dig deeper into the Lord than you've ever done before. What does devotions express to God? Loyalty. You know, we think that God has this long laundry list of things that we're supposed to do to be right with Him. It's not like that at all. We're not to relate to God on the basis of our performance. That's legalism. Measuring what I do, and then therefore if I measure out well enough, then, well, God can bless me. God doesn't work with us on that level. It's always on the basis of grace. We need to dig in, and we need to become more passionate at this time. Meanwhile, Back at the Bible study here. These ladies were perplexed by what was going on. And again, are you at a loss in your life right now? 
you don't really have the direction you feel confident about. Are you sure about God's will for your life? Are you without a way? What about forgiveness? Have you experienced forgiveness from God? Have you extended forgiveness to to others who've been offensive? Are you sure of your eternity? These are things you do not need to be perplexed about. Jesus has made it very clear what it takes. A simple, humble bowing of the heart before him saying, God, forgive me a sinner. Come into my life. Show me the way. Show me the path. Devotions and having a devotional life is just an expression of your loyalty. He's loyal to you. He's there for you. He's always on your side. He's for you. He's not against you. All he requires of us is that we be loyal to him. He has shown you, oh man, what does the Lord require of you? To walk humbly with your God, to love mercy, and to do justice. You want a list right there? That's sufficient. God will be, God will be pleased with that in each of our lives. He doesn't want us to stand before an empty tomb he doesn't want us to stand before a pile of ashes of our failures and grow up and, and, and be filled with self-pity. That's not God's way. What can we do and where can we go from here? And he will show us. He will direct us. Maybe you're experiencing a dead-end job right now and you're wondering what you should do. God always has a way. He will show you the way. Much of the time, it's just a matter of persistently asking him to direct us and to guide us. You see, the reason why maybe God has allowed that to happen because he wants to reveal more of his love, more of his grace. He wants to show you in your life how much you really care. So sometimes he allows things to go a little bit sideways in your life so that you seek him and then he delivers you and then you're, you're like, oh my, he really does love me. What a great revelation that is. What a comfort that is to our soul when those experiences take place in our life. God is for us. He's not against us. Death is not the greatest fear that we should have. The greatest fear we should have is him. And we'll talk about that. That's what it talks about here in verse 5. When they saw these angels, these two men in bright shining, the supernatural, if you will, they were terrified. And Phobos, which is alarmed, extremely frightened, frightened and terrified ever had one of those moments now I, I honestly have not but I do get frightened easily and my wife and daughters are smiling right now I have this thing I get I get I'm not like a lot of you I really get involved in my work and when I'm working away on something and I'm concentrating and someone comes up behind me and I don't know that they're in the room I get startled and I jump, and they just can't help but just cackle at me. And I, would, I, I, do, I understand that, and it doesn't bother me that they laugh. It does bother me that they startle me, though. <laughs> so if you've been startled, and I'm using this to illustrate fear, the kind of fear that these ladies may have experienced, if you could take that fright that, just that that's a few seconds of startled being startled is just a few second experience right it doesn't last that long could you imagine if you if that went on for even 15 seconds or a minute 
And at that point, your legs are going to, your knees are going to be knocking, right? And there's some people, even this is what's reported in some of the eyewitnesses, when they're experiencing something at the earthquake, 1800s when it took place, written testimonies, so freaked out, so startled beyond words that they, they just passed out. Sometimes it's just circuitry overload. This is, the, this is what we're talking about here. This is how the natural person reacts to the supernatural. We have no clue what these angels are capable of doing. They are much greater. They live in the presence of God. There is no sin about them. They shine. They're full of joy and happiness continually. We just can't relate to that. There's you ever been around someone who you feel like they're really, you know, uh, you're in awe of them because of their position or they just have an aura about them and you kind of like, wow, you know, I've had that experience, you know, but it's beyond that. And of course, they, they hit their fate, they hit the ground, they bow quickly out of that fear. And the question was a reality check. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? It's a good question, isn't it? How many people were seeking answers among this, the death and destruction that the curse has brought upon this earth? The humanistic way of its death. Why do we seek to find life in something that's dead? It's what we do. Because we're naturally intimidated by the supernatural. We're naturally intimidated by God. By nature, we are an enemy of God. We are afraid to disclose ourselves before him. Why don't people fully surrender? Because they're afraid. God might ask them to do something or be something that they know they're not capable of. It's really a a ripoff. There's other kinds of fear, you know, besides just being startled and an elongated, startling experience. The Hebrew word for fear is yare. It's a reverencing. It is an honor. It is to be afraid. And we are, as it were, to be afraid of God. But he's so loving and kind that we sort of overlook that once you get to know him. But there still needs to be that awe and that fear, that reverence. I think this is what's missing in the church of Jesus Christ today. The, the Greek word for fear is phobia, which phobeo, we get our word phobia from. And it's the kind of fear that you want to run and hide. You know, um, you, you, not, a, not a great, sometimes you can't run and hide. It's a paralyzing type fear. But I know most of you guys are macho, controlled by machismo. No, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, fear takes on a lot of different kinds of things, doesn't it? You can get paralyzed by it. You can co- control our lives without us really knowing it. It's subtle. But the Scripture tells us that we are not to have fear or be controlled by fear. Second Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you're experiencing fear, if you're being controlled by fear, you need to stop. And you can stop. God wants you to stop. God has a better way of living than being controlled by your fear. 
Sometimes it's the life circumstances that produce that fear. It's, it's, a, it's actually the natural reaction when we face something that's unknown. It's, we, we have to deal with fear on a regular basis. There's some fears that are good. Touch the hot stove, it'll burn you. Okay, okay, I won't do that. You know, I'm afraid to touch that. That's okay. It keeps us in line. Some fear does. But there's some fear that will keep us from God. That's the kind of fear I'm talking about. Don't let that, don't be intimidated by our loving, loving Heavenly Father. He gives us His Spirit so that we can trust Him because His Word given to us through His Spirit brings faith, gives us courage. We can move forward with confidence. If we resist, though, we'll fall back into that place of fear. It'll grip our hearts. It'll control us. So how do I discern fear in my life? That's really, you know, let's get applicable here, right? Well, do you want to run and hide from stuff? That's fear. Adam, that's what our first parents did. Did they not? Wow. The Lord's here. Let's go hide. Guilt will cause us to want to... They were imprisoning in themselves in guilt. Rather than coming to God and dealing with it, they were willing to live with their guilt. And the best thing to do with guilt is just confess it. The human spirit was not made to experience guilt. God doesn't want us to live under that kind of control. And it's so easy for God to take care of it if you let him. Lord... I crossed the line here. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Now, is that really hard to say and, and mean it? Well, it is if you're full of pride and self-righteousness. You can't bring yourself to, you know, of course, I would never do anything like that. You gotta, it's, we're not about being religious. You get it? It's about being sincere. It's about being honest with God. And that's all it is. You know, we get fear because sometimes we lose our focus. It's easy to lose your focus. You look at circumstances. Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water, and he was doing quite well when he was looking at Jesus. He kept his eyes on the Lord. As soon as he was moved by the circumstances of a gust of wind or a bigger wave than he anticipated, his eyes were removed from Jesus, and then he began to sink. So we might lose our focus. That's a good way. Are you focused? Are you having trouble focusing? Maybe fears crept into your heart. Sometimes we just listen to the wrong voices. Joshua was told, be strong and of good courage. Moses had just died. The leadership role is now his. He was completely intimidated by that. We're going into the land. There are giants there. And the, some, I don't know about some of these people, they're kind of rebellious. They, they really give Moses a rough time for 40 years and I've got to lead them. A lot of doubts, probably in his mind. Why, do you think he was fearful? Why else would the Lord say, be strong and of good courage? It's because he was afraid. And so this is a normal thing in our life. We're going to experience this emotion. And there's, nothing, there's no sin in, in and of itself like that. But how do you deal with it? And if it's controlling you, that's the issue. Maybe you want to run from the battle. The Lord 
in 2 Chronicles 20, if you're taking notes, 15 through 17, the Lord told Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, through the prophet, you need to chill out. Now, that's in the modern version, <laughs> translated by me. Uh, so, but he basically said, you will not need to fight this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes you just have to trust God. There's nothing else left to do. And that's the best place to be. And that's really the place that through fear and when we experience that, that God is trying to drive us to. Do you trust me? Do you think my loyalties, I'm going to drop my loyalty to you over this situation that's come about in your life? Do you think this situation caught me by surprise? So, obviously, we, we can doubt, and sometimes we do doubt. You know, how does that happen? Well, we've been praying about something for quite some time, and, you know, if the Lord really loved me, he would have answered me by now. But I'm just wondering if he really does sometimes, you know. And we start getting on this little trip. That's not a good place to go. Now, there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Understand that. Doubt will get you into trouble. Remember Zechariah. Wait, we've been praying about having a child for a long time, but... The angel's telling me, well, you're gonna, your, your wife's going to have a child. Oh, well, I'm an old man. How? How? How's that going to work? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> no, that's not what the angel said. Well, you're just not going to talk for a while, bud. Doubt can get you into trouble. No, oh, God was gracious, and after Johnny was born, then he started talking again. So it was good. But you don't want to doubt. What's the difference between doubt and unbelief. Unbelief is a conviction of the heart. That's a heart issue. Doubt is in the head. God, if your heart is right with God, your heart, uh, if your heart, oh, I want to say that again. If your heart is right with God, he'll deal with your doubts. He'll overcome them. If you do not deal with an unbelief in your heart, that will take you away. It'll defile you. You'll be filled with bitterness and disappointment. He, you have to call unbelief for what it is. It's sin. Now, switching gears here again, back to the thing here. They're wondering where the body of Jesus is. And the angels address this powerfully. He is not dead. He is alive. How many people believe that Jesus is alive? You and I, we believe. We know. We've just recently had a conversation with him, right? If you look at this and... and, and read through it carefully, you can get the sense that there's great joy. He's not dead. He's alive. There's joy in the delivery of this message of the angels to these people because he's, they're telling these ladies the truth about what has happened. He is risen. And I believe the joy of the Lord is stuff that should dominate the life of a believer. 
The joy of the Lord is our strength. Because joy is not predicated upon the circumstances. Whether I'm fearful, whether I get startled, or whether I am trapped in a situation where I feel there's no way, I can have joy. Because joy is of spiritual nature. Where happiness is contingent upon, so often contingent upon my circumstances. The deepest need to produce this joy on a regular basis is what I mentioned earlier. It is the fear of the Lord. Uh, it's hard to imagine that, uh, how important and hard to grasp the importance of that aspect in our lives. To have the spirit of the fear of the Lord. To really respect him. To have, to have our fear centered on him and, and not other things. Without the fear of the Lord, you will not be changed. You will not overcome your sin. The, the Bible tells us, as many of us are aware, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. You'll begin to really figure life out when you fear the Lord. There's a lot of blessings that come with it. It lengthens your life, according to the Proverbs. It's a place of security. The fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. You want to overcome sin? Then really develop your fear and respect of God. You really take him at his word. God is to be respected. He is the most awesome being that exists. There's none greater, none higher, none more holy, none more capable. The Bible tells us it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's terrifying. Lastly, it says in verse 8 that they remembered. Well, okay, so that means they forgot. <laughs> Temporarily, right? They recalled after being reminded. They were not, the Lord was determined not to allow them to stay in the place of being perplexed. He did not want them to be controlled by fear. And he's pointing them back to his word. The word of God, I believe, is the answer to 99.9% .9 of our issues. Three things that the Christian never gets away from, should never depart. And if you violate these basics, you will retard your spiritual growth and you will begin to, your flesh will take over. Three things you must do because you're fighting three enemies. Let me give them to you. The word of God, prayer, and fellowship. You observe those three activities and you are consistent. You will grow spiritually. You'll go closer to God. Your brother or sister relationships with other Christians will deepen. You'll be a joyful person. Why is that important? Because we are fighting against the world. The world is not on our side. The flesh, your fallen nature is contrary to God and to his word. And the devil, he's always scheming, trying to set us up for failure. He wants nothing more than to see us dead. He knows he can't touch you because you have the mark of God on you. You are, you are God's property. You are the apple of his eyes. He cannot kill us. 
He cannot damage us like that. But he can tempt us, can seek to use us, use things to soil our lives so that we're of no value and no use. doesn't mean we're not saved. We're just carnal and we're of no value and we're of no use to the master. We become vessels of dishonor. That's what Satan can do and that's what he tries to do. He lies to us to get us into that position. So you understand why the word of God and prayer and fellowship are key to overcoming those three enemies. Very important. Don't forget the word of God. Remember what he said. This was going to happen. This crucifixion should not have caught the disciples by surprise. But they had spiritualized it. Jesus, there he goes again, you know, spiritualizing things, you know. No, he was literal. This is what's going to happen. And it did happen. You know, the scripture warns it's easy to forget God. It's really easy to leave him out of our decisions. It's easy to, you know, skip it. Oh, I'm okay here. I'll, I'll just, the Lord won't really care about that, you know, whatever. Why do we have a tendency to forget God? We just do. The fallen nature's always with us, right? I think that's what Paul's talking about. When I would do good, evil is present with me. I don't think he was talking about the devil so much as he was talking about his fallen nature. He just can't get rid of that. Dead guy just following me around everywhere, right? One of the reasons we can forget God is we get too busy. You just, we're, we're to maintain a balance in our lives. I think that's so important. And I'm, you know, that's sin number one for me sometimes. Just slow down. Smell the roses, you know. Enjoy your life. Take time for God. We can get caught up in the blessings that he's already given to us, which seems ironic, doesn't it? Deuteronomy 6, 10, 12. God warned the people of this before they went into the promised land. This second generation was warned about this. So you shall be that when the the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. And when you have eaten to the full, beware, lest you forget Yahweh. Isn't it amazing how when you are so blessed by God that you could actually forget him? And so may God help us to be delivered from that ability to forget so easily. We can easily slip into idolatry, and that is simply putting things before our relationship with God. 1 Kings eleven fourteen. Solomon was old, and his wives turned his heart after other gods, and he was not loyal to the Lord is God. You think when you're young, you know, when I get old, I'll have overcome my flesh and everything will be hunky-dory and I'll have learned the Bible and life will be a whole lot easier. I hate to discourage any of you young brothers and sisters. It, not like that. <laughs> it gets worse, right? <laughs> no, it gets easier in some ways and difficult in others. But the fallen nature always stays with you and that's the point. Don't put things before the Lord, no matter what age you are. And the worst of all, probably, 
Uh, so we can slip into pride. We can slip into stubbornness as well. And Jeremiah warned the people uh, through the Lord's word. He said to the people through Jeremiah, Obey my voice, for I will be your God and you shall be my people. Walk in the ways that I've commanded you and it'll be well with you. Yet you did not obey my commands. Excuse me. I moved my finger here and I lost my place. You shall, you shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I've commanded you and it shall be well with you. Yet you did not obey or incline your ear, but you followed the counsels and dictates of your own evil hearts, and you went backwards and not forward. That is the uh, severe warning that God gives us because this is what the flesh will do to us. And when you have not uh, sought to die to self, the enemy will come in, and, and this is, these will, he will create strongholds, and he will seek to drive you away from the presence of God. And so these are the uh, warnings that we have not to forget God. Uh, be loyal to him, for he is loyal to us. You know, they begin, as it were, they heard the word, they heard the testimony of these ladies, but what did they say? It seemed like idle tales. They were so distraught and so perplexed and so bummed out that they just couldn't receive the witness of others. That's a sad place to be. There was unbelief creeping in. They were listening to the wrong voices. You see, a perplexed heart, a fearful heart, a forgetful heart needs to, be, needs to receive the witness of others. It needs to receive the word of God. Well, Peter was touched, as we read here, as we finish. He rose and ran to the tomb. Well, you know what? There might be something to what those girls were saying, you know? <laughs> I don't know. You know, sometimes it's just worth checking out what other people are like. Really? What, what, really? How's this working for you? You seem to be joyful. You seem to have a lot going on good in your life. Could you tell me about what's going on? That's what, so he was challenged, and he went and checked it out. So that's my encouragement to you. I don't expect you to believe everything I've said this morning. I expect you to go check it out. Experience it for yourself. I know you love the Lord. Are you, are you filled with the joy of the Lord because you're walking with him? I hope so. Sometimes it just takes someone to challenge you, someone to encourage you. Sometimes you just need someone to come wrap their arm around you and, and say, you know, hey, I'm with you. So let's just be an encouragement to each other to one another. And again, I want to finish with one of the great and precious promises that you can take with you and never stop believing this. I love this verse. It's one of my favorites, along with many others. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope you will call upon me and you will go and pray and you will listen to me. You will seek me 
and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Shall we stand? Now is not the time to be playing around with your spirituality. If you have something that you need prayer for and you want to pray with someone, the elders will be available. I will be available. We're going to sing here and close out. We've got a couple minutes here. And uh, let's wait upon the Lord as you search your own heart. We're going to be here. Come on up for prayer. If you need further counseling or you really need someone to talk to that's more than just a little quick prayer, we have a prayer room in the back corner here. It's wide open. There'll be someone in there to pray with you. Do not leave here perplexed or fearful. Do not do that. Seek the Lord. You'll find him. Father, thank you. We honor you. And Lord, we do fear you. We pray that you'll develop the fear of the Lord more and more within our lives. Oh God, help us to see, help us to understand more and more of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.